So here at Matthew's Table, we've kind of been going through uh, a series on hospitality and how we can invite Jesus into our lives, um, specifically through the spiritual disciplines. So two weeks ago was um, the reading of scripture and then prayer, and, and today we're going to be going through community. Um, and while I'm not super sure why Rusty was like, yeah, well, I was going to do this, um, I know that this is a very, very pertinent and relevant topic for my life, um, specifically because, I mean, I was, I was kind of sitting there, you know, like typing this out, and you're doing all the brainstorming, like, I have no idea what I'm doing at all, anywhere, you know, but okay, what am I going to speak about? How am I going to lift up Christ's word in this? And um, just kind of was sitting there and realized community, like I've been searching for community my whole life. Um, and for me, um, that's driven me to, you know, when it was in middle school and high school, it was like, who's got the coolest shoes? Well, who's got the coolest shoes is because whoever's got the coolest, brightest shoes is who you look at, right? And you, you compliment them. And so I would buy clothes um, and dress up nice and whatever so that people would compliment me um, and so that maybe I could have some favor with them and so that I could gather people around myself so that I could gain community. Um, and it, it drove me into just unhealthy relationships or to make relationships unhealthy um, in my dating life in high school and middle school and now even. Um, and it, it also drove me to uh, a Greek club, to a, um, an acapella group, to search for that kind of just gathering that I really, really desired. I, needed, I knew I needed people in my life. And, um, and I, I've shared before, I mean, I just, I think deep down, like I don't, I don't break down thinking about it now, but it's like I very much fear being alone. And so this is a very, very relevant topic. And while none of those things that I searched after, while dating's not bad, obviously, I hope not, um, while you know a Greek club isn't bad or an acapella group isn't bad, um, they can never really satisfy us you know, in the way that true biblical community rooted in personal communion with Christ through his word and prayer can. Um, and so Christ calls us this morning to be a part of a gathering of believers in communion with him and others. Um, and he frequently uses the language of body to describe that group of believers. And I mean, you can think with me here. I mean, what, what language would be more intimate than the language of your own body? I mean, how, how well do you know your own body? And so it's in that hope this morning, what Christ tells me I am and who we are, um, that I uh, am going to try to, while being very underqualified, speak to us about, tell us the good news about how we as Christians can invite Christ Jesus into our lives through being a community. So I'll read, if you can, you can turn in your Bibles with me this morning. If you have your Bibles or your phones or the Word of God in any format, um, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to raise this up because this is too short for me. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. 
But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about other things I will give directions when I come. And so I just want to open by praying that the Lord would reveal um, his word to us this morning. Father in heaven, I come here um, ill-equipped and imperfect. And I pray that you would just speak by your Holy Spirit through me today and encourage this body of believers so that we can walk freely in community um, and know who you are and know your love more fully today by this community, in Jesus' name. So right off the bat, we find two problems distressing Paul in this text. Um, The first one is that the Corinthian attendees of this church are divided on um, the pastors. We'll use that word because there's not really, well, anyways. There's um, Apollos and there's Paul, and they're, they're divided on, I follow him, I follow him, and um, then, after that, the second and primary issue in this text that Paul indicts the Corinthians with is treating the Lord's Supper as a buffet. Um, and we're, I mean, you can think with me, if you've been here before, if you haven't, we're, we've got tables back there, we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end. Um, we do every weekend. And you can just kind of imagine how insane it would be if, uh, you know, halfway around the circle, Levi just kind of shoved the whole loaf in his mouth. Um, Or if maybe Rusty got up there and just 
chug the grape juice on us, and we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? It would be, it would be comical, right? It'd be hilarious. It, we would laugh and probably be slightly disturbed. Um, and just as kind of humorous and absolutely ridiculous that this is, um, there's something just as crazy going on in the hearts of some of those who are attending the Corinthian church. When the believers in Corinth come together, Paul states that it is not for the better, but for the worse in verse 15. Um, They're not building themselves up. They're tearing themselves down. Doing the body of Christ harm instead of good when they come together. There are some people showing up to Sunday gathering with such little regard for the person in the chair next to them that they'd rather stuff their face um, than have any concern for the body of Christ. And this is, so John MacArthur puts it like this, that this is a flagrant desecration of a holy ordinance. They've chosen to go along with their own suppers. That's what Paul says, instead of actually partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so while maybe we don't do that today, maybe we don't, you know, feast like that today and exclude one another, um, as the Corinthians did, in the American church and in Cleveland, Tennessee, and um, in our gathering at Matthew's table, there can be a very similar problem where we just kind of show up. We show up and we go through the motions of church. We, we do church or whatever. Um, and while obviously this isn't occurring to the frequency of the Corinthian attendees, we do this a little bit at Matthew's table. Um, we kind of think out loud. So can you all think out loud with me how might the posture of our hearts um, be in any way detrimental or inhibitive to the growth of body of the body of believers? Yeah, so T said, if we see it, I don't know if you can hear him. It's kind of loud in here. If we, if we see the church as something that can serve us instead of us serving it, and it can very much grow as a selfish desire to just come and, and be served. Yeah, thank you, T. Yeah, so making, making the church service as like a, a performance, something I'm very tempted to do this morning. I want to look good in front of you. I want to do well um, because it's, it's a natural inclination to try and want to perform before God and before other believers. Thank you. Yeah, so see, seeing community as like draining as an energy expenditure, as a chore. Yeah, and so I think we're all kind of hitting on like this is this is why Paul says that he can't recommend he can't commend them coming together. 
theirs is obviously detrimental, but we can see kind of some of the ways in which we can cause harm to the body of believers by coming with different attitudes and the posture of our heart being wrong, performance-based or, or selfish. And in verse 19, he says specifically to the Corinthian church, this, this is why there must be factions among you. There must be factions among you that among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul is not saying here that there should be factions among us today. That's not what he's, he's not subscribing us to that. Um, but rather that the actions of the Corinthian church, which he has heard of, were unable to be commended because they were evidence of spiritual immaturity and that there were people living in the flesh in the congregation. And so to give a diagnosis of hope, Paul says that there must be some of you who are not genuine believers um, for this sort of drunken and gluttonous and self-centered behavior to just abound in your congregation. This is, this is what's causing separation between those who are committing these acts and those who are genuinely pursuing faith. The factions developing among them is then a necessary evidence that not all of them are walking by the Spirit. So, when I was a kid, um, my dad, we went for the majority of, I think, my childhood, middle school, high schoolhood, um, making up words this morning, <laughs> we went to a Presbyterian church, and I would, the, the denomination doesn't matter, I don't know why I mentioned it, but anyways, we went to church, and um, my dad instituted a rule when I was a little kid, not for me, maybe, but really for my brothers, that if you fell asleep in church, you're taking a nap when you get home. And like now, I'm very much, I love naps. Like I wish that was a rule today, you know. I would try, I would still not fall asleep in church. But anyways, um, the, back when you're a kid, that's like the worst thing ever, you know. Like wasting an hour, there's no way. Not doing that. And so there was no way that I would ever fall asleep because I couldn't waste that time at home resting because I had to be playing with action figures or watching Scooby-Doo or something like that that was obviously much more productive. And so, um, <laughs> so while that worked, like I was, I was awake. I was not going to let dad see me fall asleep. Kent, on the other hand, would just, we joked that this was his prayer uh, or this was his, his church position. He would just fall asleep every service, but uh, not me. And so while it had the effect of it kept me awake, I was, man, I was not falling asleep, no way, no how, but it didn't have the effect that it was really instituted for. In a sense of it was a rule, I was awake, I was there, but I wasn't really there mentally. Um, mentally, I was in a car, car chase down the road, you know, like firing at somebody, or I was Spider-Man crawling across the vaulting ceiling walls and heroically saving the congregation. <laughs> in a way that Jesus couldn't, I guess, I don't know, anyways. And so um, that was where my mind was. And that, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's like, okay, you're sitting in church, but there's no one home up here. You're taking the Lord's Supper in a sense of you're, you're outwardly eating the bread and drinking the wine but nobody's really home with you. Christ isn't in your hearts. 
or else the, your observance of the Lord's Supper would look very different. That's what Paul is diagnosing the Corinthian church with. And so Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 20 actually says that um, it's not the Lord's Supper that they're even eating. They're not even eating the Lord's Supper when they come together. Why is this? Um, because they weren't actually in communion with one another. We can see that by their actions towards one another. And if we're not careful, we can do the same in our family meal, in our fight clubs, and in our Sunday gathering. We don't, we don't need to think that we're, we're beyond those stupid Corinthians, like kind of we do with the Israelites. Oh, those dumb Israelites, they're running away from God again, morons. We can very much distance ourselves um, from the Corinthians and say that we're beyond just going through the motions. Um, but the truth is, is we can come here on Sunday morning and take communion because it's just what we do. Instead of remembering why this beautiful celebration was instituted in the first place. We can go to family meal and with just a kind of, okay, let's get through this kind of attitude. We can go to fight clubs. Um, if you don't know, fight clubs are not where we actually fight, by the way, if you're new here. Fight clubs are where we um, fight sin and disbelief together through God's word. It's a, kind of like a Bible study. Um, we can go to our fight clubs and not really be affected by the encouragement that can come from gospel discipleship because we aren't willing to be vulnerable or let people in. And for me as a college student, talking, preaching to myself as well this morning, um, trying to get this into my heart, I can show up to Sunday gathering, family meal, fight club, with a, what can I get from this? With as little as I can possibly give of my own energy and my own time as possible kind of attitude. That's where my heart can be sometimes. Um, but Paul, and, and through Paul, Christ has a greater expectation for what this time of gathering in our lives and today can, as believers in community, should look like. And so the path that we see in um, 1 Corinthians is made more evident in 1 Corinthians. Um, oops. It's made more evident in chapter 13, 1 through 3. And Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so this, by this, Paul is saying to us, Jesus, Jesus didn't call you, Jesus didn't call me, just, Jesus didn't call us to church to eat bread and drink wine. He called us rather um, to break bread together in love for one another um, which brings us into a beautiful union as one body of the same bloodline as Christ. If this ceremony, called Eucharist sometimes, is not carried out in love, we gain nothing. It doesn't matter how strictly we observe the spiritual disciplines, how much we pray, how much we read scripture, how much we come together, if the love of Jesus Christ is not within us, and if it's not the driving force of all that we do. He's saying... Yeah, sure, you're taking communion, but it means nothing to the Corinthians. 
Because the love of Christ is not evident in your eating and drinking. In verse 23 through 26, we can see that Jesus himself um, and, and now we partake of the Lord's Supper with thanksgiving, as Christ did with his disciples, because, the price, because of the price that Christ paid for our redemption through his body and his blood. It was instated on the night he was betrayed, this um, communion or the Lord's Supper as it's called, but it also during the Passover feast is when Jesus is having this meal with his disciples. And in this way, Jesus gives us a new celebration where the Jews had celebrated God's past deliverance of their ancestors from the land of Egypt to Canaan, a physical deliverance from temporary bondage. Now we celebrate what we have been given, that we have been freed from spiritual bondage forever. And we do this by sharing a meal with the King of Kings. This is why the Lord's Supper is also is often called Eucharist because of the Greek participle Eucharisteo, um, which just means to give thanks. Um, this is what's used to describe the Lord's giving thanks as he broke the bread. And this ordinance of the church was instituted with a command, do this in remembrance of me. It was meant to be a celebration of remembrance and thanksgiving for all who have been saved from bondage forever. And so, in Transformers 2, I'm not, I'm not recommending, I am referencing. There's this scene where Starscream, this giant robot um, transformed into an F-22 fighter pilot, he goes on like a strafing run of the Autobots and their friends who are humans. And they look after him and they see that he's turning around and they're all disheartened. They're like, he's turning around. And you see it in, uh, his name's Simmons. He's this ex-military guy. You see it in his eyes. It's like something like clicks. He's like, it's up to me. It's up to me. One man, alone, betrayed by the country he loves. And he kind of goes into this like, this like jacking himself up kind of pep talk. He hops in the car and he lets the other guy in the car with him. And um, they just floor it. They're going around this corner and he, he starts yelling it even more to get himself pumped up. One man, alone. Betrayed by the country he loves. And the dude next to him is like, stop saying that. I'm right here in the car with you. And like Simmons, if you've ever seen this movie, I think many times we can gather as believers and really believe in our hearts that we're all alone in this world. That there's just a kind of disconnect where, okay, yeah, you're in the seat next to me right here, but it's like, I just, I just feel alone. I just feel like nobody's really here with me. We can feel like nobody ever really understands the pain we're currently experiencing. Or that maybe everybody would just be better off if I stayed away from them and lived in my own relationship with Christ. Because me introducing myself or my problems would just, would just mess things up. And Paul shows us that from its institution, communion was never about breaking bread or drinking wine. Jesus broke bread with them on Passover. And to paraphrase Jesus, I don't like doing this too much, but here we go. He said, hey, remember, remember when you used to celebrate the physical deliverance of your ancestors? Now you will do this in remembrance of me. 
because I'm going to deliver you for eternity by the sacrificing of my body and my blood. And so by this, Jesus is the new Passover lamb whose blood was smeared on the doors, posts of our lives to protect us from the wrath of God that has been stored up from us, for us for the sins we have committed against him. Jesus was the last sacrifice. He was crushed by his father and now our father so that we could live in peace with a holy God. And now we don't have to wait a year to celebrate his goodness. We get to rejoice in the remembrance of our deliverance from death and sin and isolation and brokenness every time we come together as a body of believers. We can rejoice freely and let the outward symbol of communion reflect the inward reality of the freedom of our hearts. In the same way, we can gather together on Sunday as a bunch of individuals and realize, actually realize that our outward gathering reflects an inward reality that we are the body of Christ. So there's not that disconnect there. Communion, as a beautiful picture of our unity and deliverance, gives us hope to gather here this morning as one body. It gives us hope to open our homes and our lives to people, knowing that we will not be judged because we are one body. It gives us hope to go to fight clubs and share the sins that we commit and the distresses of our daily lives because we know that while there may not be perfect understanding or perfect empathy, perfect exhortation or encouragement, we have people living with us and endeavoring to invite Christ into our lives, into their lives, just as we are through this community. Me personally, I find great hope in this. And that, that though I cannot perfectly living community that Christ already has done so for me. And so living in community with believers is then not a thing that I have to do or check off my list and say, yep, went to church this week and fight club and family meal, I got it all. But it's something I can do out of joy and I can find solace in by his grace. And so this is all really great. This is all, you know, well and good. This is the path that Jesus has laid out for us. But you may still be saying, as sometimes many days I am, okay, but how do we really accomplish this? You know, how, okay, this is the path, but, but how am I going to do this? And so as imperfect and broken people, we, we should remember first of all, so that we're not disillusioned with this beautiful image that Christ is painting for us, which it is beautiful, we should remember that we're going to do so very imperfectly. But there's a way to guard ourselves from the sort of reckless disregard that Paul speaks against vehemently in this passage. Verse 28, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What Paul is saying is that we should look into our hearts and see the condition of them before partaking in the Lord's Supper before living in a community, before kind of just all the time, not really before, but continuously, so that as a body of believers, we can guard our hearts from that kind of, that kind of false disconnect, that kind of posture of our hearts that wants to be selfish or wants to be isolated or wants to say, this is just really draining. 
And this kind of verse sounds a whole lot like Matthew 5, 23 through 24, where he says, So if you are offering a gift at the altar, and then remember your brother has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come offer your gift. And what he's saying there is, is okay, that the outward manifestation of your love for God and your worship to him and your gathering as believers is not as important as the heart behind what you do. The heart behind, like, why am I here? Why am I taking bread and dipping it in grape juice? Why am I, why am I gathering with my fight club and opening my heart up or, or saying, telling each other what we did this week? The Lord's Supper is not to be partaken with selfish intent. Communion is not to be done with selfish intent, but with the same self-sacrificing love that unites us in Jesus Christ as one body. And so here's how we can kind of prevent ourselves from hindering our spiritual growth and hindering the spiritual growth, growth of others. Paul specifically is speaking to the church in which the congregation is not full of all believers, obviously, as he says, there should be divisions among them. But this method of self-examination is no less useful. And we use a lot of questions. We have questions for going through the Bible, and I, I find those super useful in just kind of asking myself where I am. Who is God today, right now, as I gather, as I go to family meal, as I and with the body of believers. What has he done for me this morning and in my everyday life that is good news that I need to hear? And then I ask, who am I? In relation to God and in relation to what he's done. And in all of this, what should I do in consideration of all these things? These questions are very, very useful in actively exposing the lies of who we believe that we are or who we believe God is. And by doing this, we will be able to remember that the truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. We are sons of God, redeemed by his grace, by which we are heirs to an eternal life of paradise with the King of Kings, and that nobody can take away from us. And we can dismiss fear and anger we so many times hold in our hearts because we entertain these lies. And so as you're sitting there and as you're, you're listening to me babble on, I'd just encourage you before we go to the table and, and as, as we're gathering as a community of believers this morning, just examine your hearts with me. Ask yourselves how we might be discouraged by the failure, our failure of living in community. And how that, that discouragement can inhibit us from living in community further in the future by feeling as if we're unworthy or unwanted or unable to live in this community, that things are just too messy. I'm not able to do this. I'm not made for this. Maybe you're here and you like the idea of community this morning, but not the actual experience of it, not the actual practice. You like community in theory, but living it out is too messy for you. Or it's too draining. People aren't meeting your expectations of what a community of believers should look like. 
But as we have seen through our gathering as a body of believers on Sunday in our family meal and our fight clubs and whenever we are together in the in-betweens, though it is very imperfect, Christ has lived in perfect community already for us. I've said this. And since we can look at each other and say, wow, this is really imperfect, we can rejoice even more. Because without Christ, there's no way that we would ever end up together. I mean, look at us. Why, why would we be together without Christ? Jesus is the only one who can bind us together. And he does so through giving us his body and his blood, making us to be now his actual body. And not only did he give up his body to be sacrificed on a cross, he rose again to accomplish new life for us so that we no longer have to walk in isolation because Jesus has united us to himself and thereby has also united us to one another by his death and resurrection. The bottom line is that practicing the practice of communion in the Lord's Supper is just that. It's practice. We partake of this symbol because it reflects who we are inwardly in Christ. And we gather and break bread and drink of the cup to remind us of the way that we are to live. It is in this power that the body of one body and of one blood that we can live as a community in faith every day and call one another in our need, confess our sins, and be present in one another's lives. And lastly, something Paul gave away in 316, um, way earlier, is that just, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't say that to be trite or just like, yeah, the Holy Spirit has to accomplish this within us. There is no way to gather and, and to accomplish this sort of intimate knowing of each other and loving each other unconditionally without the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 16 of chapter 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It is not only in the power of the... This is me speaking, not God now. It is not only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we are truly to examine our hearts before him, to come here on Sunday morning and confess our stains of sin and to unite in the eating and drinking of physical bread and juice as one spiritual body. This is who makes the community possible, the Spirit's presence within us, building us into his temple. This is how we can actually live in the freedom that Christ gives us to walk in community, though imperfectly. And to just bring it back to uh, put the spotlight on me and preach this to myself, is this gives me a lot of hope. Because I can know that this isn't just a theory. I mean, writing this out, it was tempting to want to write an exegetical paper very much for me and just write something that's, yeah, true, but I don't really get into my heart. But this passage says that it's not only possible to live in community, as this describes, but I'm enabled to share my burdens, to love every one of you unconditionally, and to know that I will by no means ever be alone. For God is with me as evidenced by the community of faith that surrounds me this morning and will forever be with me. Praising God and living 
to worship him in all that I do. And so now we're free to not go about a yearly ceremony by this institution. And by this institution, we can know further how to live out community. That we can do so very imperfectly as a body, as one body. We don't have to even wait another minute to celebrate our deliverance from bondage to freedom in Christ. We don't even necessarily do so through communion. We do so by community.